Coming up on the Assassin's Podcast, we've got Chris Buttonham, CEO and co-founder of Obi, which was acquired by Seismic. Joining the show to talk about early days at Obi and how Chris's experience installing security cameras led him to founding Obi, how he and I both coincidentally tried to create categories and ultimately ended up kind of stumbling and falling into the categories that we were in. And then we go into M&A and Chris talks about the process that he took to successfully sell Obi to Lessonly, which ultimately was acquired by Seismic the details around doing a deal across borders and M&A, and then the importance of negotiating your letter of intent. There's a lot of really good tactical things in there. And then we talk about ways that I can think about growing this audience, the Assassin's Podcast. He's got some great feedback and thoughts there. All right, without further ado, Assassins, let's get into the show. Giddy See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind. Assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, way above the bottom line. Assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind. Assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, way above the bottom line. Assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, Asian again. What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Justin Van Hey, here at the Assassin's Podcast, where every week we have founders on the show talking about their journeys, taking their companies from zero to one. This week on the podcast, we've got a serial entrepreneur, most recently the CEO and co-founder of Obi, making knowledge universally accessible and useful, which is now a part of Seismic through the acquisition, and he's leading the charge as a product executive on all things search and knowledge related for Seismic. But he's just a good dude, kind of a smart ass. So I thought, you know what, let's have him in. The sh- let's have him on the show. Talk a little bit about SaaS. Chris Buttonham, welcome to the Assassins Podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Happy to be here. Yeah, dude. So, okay, taking a step back. I'd love maybe if you could share with the audience a little bit about your background. And we always start with the founding stories behind the company. So we'd love to hear how you got the ball rolling with Obi. Yeah, for sure. I, I always say I don't have much of a background or a resume. I, I'm currently gainfully employed as my, in my first job, my first real big boy job. So I, I mean, I, I got kicked out of business school. That's my background and got a degree in sociology. From Canada originally, currently live in Las Vegas, and back in Canada, I mean, I've always, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur, and out of university, actually during university, maybe one of the reasons I failed math was I started like a digital agency. Now, a lot of a lot of us did back back in that day, and I sort of fell out of love for that. It was kind of scratching the entrepreneurial itch, but I didn't really want to, you know, chase other people's dreams, and so. Back in 2014-ish, um, I was in between things. I was I was actually just working for my old man. He has a company in Canada. And basically what they do is that it's a large-scale security company. They install uh, alarms and camera systems in, in grocery stores. And I was basically just like pulling line in the ceiling of one of these grocery stores in Canada. And 
I think it was my first week on the job and the the dude that was training me, he said, we're going to run an extra line for a camera to the back of the store because one day they're going to want a camera back there and we won't have to run the line. We'll just install install the camera at that time. I was like, oh, that's, that's a great idea. But how will you know that the the line is just up in this like, you know, drop tile ceiling in this store? And he's like, well, I will know. And I was like, well, that's not very scalable at all. <laughs> and so I thought, well, damn, someone should probably write this down. And that was like the beginning of my obsession of knowledge management. I, um, I took a few computer programming classes in high school and I was able to whip up this like gnarly visual basic app that was essentially like a note taking app that we used at, at my dad's company. And it kind of, it was, it was validation enough for me that this was a problem that uh, needed solving. And so uh, I quit my job and I started this company called OneBase. And basically it was supposed to be this central repository for all of the knowledge that a company would need to be productive. I mean, what we quickly realized, because I did no research <laughs> at all, and this was kind of my first kick at the can, is that there was tons of solutions like this out there. <laughs> and we were just creating another place to put information. And, and you could argue it was shinier, faster, better, or what have you. But basically, it was a commodity at that point. And you know, we spun our wheels for quite some time doing that. This was like between 2015 and just the end of 2016. And Slack had just come out a couple of years earlier. And it was they were just launching what what we now know as the the Slack app directory. And so I was well, one of my mentors kind of encouraged me to think about pivoting this very um, unfruitful business of ours. And we decided, what if we took the learnings from this one base, which was, hey, companies already have this knowledge somewhere, but they do have trouble accessing it. And employees have these places where they spend all their time. So what we did is we basically took Google Drive and we made it searchable within Slack. And I think we had like we launched like a landing page or whatever on Product Hunt and we had like 10x the signups in the one week that we had that landing page up than we did in like the one and a half years we were spinning our wheels on one base. So we kind of thought, okay, this thing has legs. And and that's sort of the founding story. We ended up getting into 500 startups with that and that that traction starting to bubble. We were like you, one of the first Slack apps on the directory, which in hindsight was like one of the only reasons we were able to stay alive. And so the rest is history. The knowledge access and search space is obviously a huge problem inside of companies large and small. When you did that revamp of V2, of what ultimately became Obi, how much more thought did you guys kind of give to the category that you were entering into? And were there sort of players that you had in your crosshairs where you said, okay, we want to be the next and better version of X. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think we thought, thought about it more. It's a really good question because I think at the time we thought we were going to create a category and what happened over time is we ended up realizing, well, in a way we, we kind of helped create a category, which is now I think just like sales enablement software. At the time we were very horizontal. So I can't say that we had the that foresight, but it, it was around the time Guru, who was and I suppose still is our our biggest competitor, it was around the time that they were coming to market, and 
we thought we had a really unique value proposition. We just, we didn't know if it would fit into that same category, right? They, they wanted to be that source of truth. And we thought, well, we don't want to be the source of truth. We almost want to be the, the engagement layer, this middleware that can sit between knowledge that already exists and the places where you need to access it. But over time, we definitely had to create a platform that was at least at parity with some of the sort of ephemeral features that one needs in a either a knowledge or a sales enablement tool. Literally, same story on the side. We back ass ended into the HR category, yes. thinking we were mm-hmm. building just a fun way to give recognition and kudos and celebrate employee achievements. Really little thought and sort of said, okay, there is an established category around recognition and eventually kind of realized, oh, we've sort of like when you walk into a party and you're not sure if you (laughs) want to be at that party. It's like, okay, uh, well, I guess we're in recognition now. And how big is that category? And and once you're in it, it's like, oh, okay, there is an opportunity to build something better. So I guess part of it was luck, but what you're saying definitely resonates. And so that's that's actually a really good segue into this other question I had for you. First of all, Again, congrats on the sale of Obi. I know I alluded to that in the intro. Thank you. Which I know it was Lessonly, uh, right? That acquired you first, and then yes. Lessonly was acquired by Seismic, and so that's that's where yes. you are now. And yeah, you talked about the sales content space, but I'd love to maybe give some more insight into the listeners on how the M and A process went down, and where did the where did that conversation start, and what was that experience like for you guys? Yeah, man, it was wild. It was definitely the craziest time of my life. It was it was weird. We were pseudo bootstrapped, like we raised a little bit of money through the the journey of Obi, and we were at this interesting crossroads. We had just like finally raised a little bit of a small, I don't know if you'd even call it a seed, <clears throat> but we raised that and traction was starting to go in the right direction. Then the pandemic happened. And we were shitting our pants. We thought this was it. This is the final nail in the coffin because it's 2020. So fast forward, we've been at it for quite some time. And then this weird thing happened after like six months, we actually started seeing like a much higher rate of leads and conversions and sales and and so forth. And it was pretty obvious that it was like this change of, oh shit, everyone's remote and you can't physically shoulder tap anyone. So like, this is really helping us. That's great. And so we were like, well, damn, we've got the traction now. We've got the why now. Maybe it's time to go raise a proper round. And as we were doing that, and we had entertained a couple of other conversations in the past, sort of strategically, that just didn't pan out. But Connor Burt, one of the founders of Lessonly, he just like slid into my DMs on LinkedIn and was like, hey, full transparency, we're kind of looking into this space. We don't know if we're going to build or buy because they're a learning management system where a knowledge management system is like one of the, th- the biggest things that their customers are asking for in deals, I guess. And some of their competitors sort of had this baked in. So it was like, I wasn't really, you know, we were like finally good. We were free. We were almost at break even. We're like, I don't know. Anyways, they had the conversation, amazing guys over there, Max and, and Connor, and they put an LOI in front of us and it just made sense. Like we were really stoked to join Leslie. The company and culture they built there was absolutely phenomenal. It was a fun size. I think they were Series C at the time, like a couple hundred employees just growing gangbusters. And wow, this would be cool learning experience, fun wave that we could ride. But that quickly, all of that excitement quickly faded when we 
started digging into the M&A process, which was absolute hell. And to no fault of theirs, it was the biggest challenge for us is we were actually a Canadian entity and we never had the money or priority to to make the switch to a Delaware C, which we kind of always had on the back burner because a lot of American investors didn't want, we had moved to the US, but American investors didn't want to invest in a Canadian entity. And so the cross-border implications of the, the transaction were absolutely nuts, like both from a tax and an acquisition standpoint. And it, it almost blew up the deal multiple times. So while it took us maybe a couple of weeks to sign out an LOI, I think it took us like three or four months to close the deal. And all the while, we're racking up this massive legal bill that is absolutely obliterating what little money we had in our bank account. It was so, it was at that point, it was either this is going to go through or we're like inadvertently packing our bags and, and shutting this thing down. Similar uh, experience on this side because Culture Amp acquiring Disco was a Australian-based company in Melbourne. And so when they... Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So when they acquired us, there was an additional global evaluation of, of us for something I had no insight into around export controls. There was, oh, wow. There was this, yeah. this process when you sell an entity to a non-US-based company there's uh, additional regulation that you've got to pass. It's called, uh, it was like CIFI. This is the best part. CIFIUS. And so every time Jeremy, every time Jeremy and I would get on a call with one of our attorneys, they'd be like, no, no, no. The guy with syphilis is on the phone. He's, he's my brother and co-founder. So we, we, I think we're good there. We know he has it. But uh, anyway, yeah, reflecting it. Looking forward. It'd be funnier if he was on this episode. That's the I got to get Jeremy on. But uh, I I feel that pain. And so from a legal and compliance standpoint, did you guys have outside counsel working through it? Did you guys hire a banker? What was the kind of the tactical way that you went about it? Oh, man, I am so grateful. So one of the many mistakes I made early on was picking the wrong lawyer. And then I ended up finding a new one because I made that mistake once. And we didn't like have any legal work for a bunch of years, but we kept in touch and he was doing a lot of small advice pro bono. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Hey man, I think we're going to get acquired. I need your help. And, uh, his team showed up and, and it was, it was incredible. There was a whole team behind us. And then on the lessonly side, which was wild, they had both American and Canadian counsel. Oh my God. William Sincini on the US side, you know, famous Silicon Valley lawyer, they were they told Connor and Max, you guys, this this deal, name the number, this which is relatively small in size, has the complexity of a five hundred million dollar deal. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was just absolutely wild. One of the things I think that I, I relate to you on is with Canada we were an Ontario company. And so when they acquired us, one of the many things they had to do, Ontario has like these boots on the ground laws where your director actually has to be physically in Ontario. So before we got acquired, we had to continue, it's called continue in British Columbia. And so we had to transfer our Ontario company to British. So all the while too, I don't know if this thing's going to go through until literally the minute it did. And so we're doing all of this and just like absolutely obliterating the company and crossing our fingers and closing our eyes. That's terrifying. <laughs> Why do we do it? Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, man. It's funny because Wilson Sincini was the same firm that went to 
war against Thomas as well. <laughs> like there you go. I know. I know. I can feel them. Yeah, and the two hundred lines of diligence and yep. Jeremy and I just trying to clean up closing disclosures. Yeah, my God. Okay, one follow up question to that. What's one recommendation? I guess now having gone through the M and A process that you would offer to founders now, knowing what you know now? I would say you're going to think the LOI is like 98% of the way there and you're probably like 20% of the way there. And the reason I say that is you have all of your leverage there and you pretty much lose it the minute you sign that and agree to continue. And so I would say spend some time there and make sure you get the terms right. Shifting gears you're on a podcast. You also previously hosted a podcast, The Art of I did. The Art of Fail. And I'm super great at failing. But I'm trying to get this this podcast off the ground. To talk a little bit more about The Art of Fail and now knowing a little bit about the Assassins podcast, I'd love to hear maybe one tactical thing that I could put into practice that makes maybe gets 10 more listeners aside from my mom and Everyone else in my family would love to kind of get your recommendations on what worked for the art of fail in terms of just growing your audience base and anything else tactical that you think would help. Oh man, I think this is the blind leading the blind. It's funny, little teaser. It, I think we're bringing the podcast back. Oh hell yeah, um, yeah. Because it was it was quite quite a few years ago we started that. Such a it's so fun. I mean, you learn a lot. But Christian, my co-host, and I were joking and saying like. The art of the fail failed in a lot of ways. You know, I think the thing that we learned that was really difficult was consistency, which is just obvious. But the thing standing in the way of consistency for us, meaning like pick your channels or pick a channel or two, go all in on them and do it constantly. But the thing standing in the way of of us, and, and it sounds like maybe you're having a similar thing, was I was kind of obsessed with quality and I'm just a perfectionist that way and it, it's just not good and i don't think it i'd like net net i don't think it mattered and this was you know the technology's come a long way we didn't have riverside or zencast or anything like that and so i wanted to film every episode i wanted to do audio for every episode and i wanted to like edit it produce it all myself chop it up and oh my god it was so much work when it didn't have to be like we could have just recorded our conversations if we wanted to do video we could have just done it on zoom or something like that again these these tools weren't available at the time and just like put it out raw i think because it inhibited our ability to be consistent mm. so if you can do it really high quality and be consistent then great but i would say consistency was the thing that when we were doing it worked really well and and that's what I would say. Nice. Okay. I've been asking this question of serial assassins. What's one thing that you wish Chris, CEO and founder of Obi, would have told Chris, the founder and CEO of OneBase or TMP Media? That's a tough question. What I would have loved to know or realize a little sooner is how much it was about people and how difficult that would be. You know, not getting the team right, not getting the investors right not getting the advisors right, having people in your corner that are there for you. I mean, frankly, and, and I'm not just tooting your horn, like, I'm, I, I don't know if you remember when, when we first met, we were just like a couple of crazy Canadians 
who got into 500 startups and we were floored to be able to, we couldn't believe we, we could meet folks like you guys who became friends over the years and like we were able to, you know, commiserate and bounce ideas off one another. And those things were really important, just as important, I think, as getting the team right, which in different iterations I didn't. And so, yeah, I underestimated the people component. Likewise, man, I think it's like we both sort of entered into this category, not really knowing what to expect. And when you're navigating around in the dark, having a community of folks to bounce things off of when you're in a similar space, it's awesome that y'all were able to to have a great exit on, on the other side. Okay, wrapping this thing up, you've done this entrepreneur thing now several times. So what's What's in the hopper for Chris Buttonham? Anything else cooking or anything else that you wanted to plug? Always cooking, baby. <laughs> this is no surprise to anyone. I think anyone that knows me is I live and die by entrepreneurship. We were kind of sharing that moment before we hopped on here. That's like my only speed, man. And I've learned and I'm learning a lot right now, but I'm, I'm also really looking forward to starting something else. I don't know what and when that will be, but it will be something. And I'm really, it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's interesting though, right? A lot has changed since we started our last company. A lot has changed. And so it, it definitely presents a unique time in some ways, the best time in some ways, the worst time. I do think though, the way <laughs> we were also joking about how our inability to raise significant amount of money ended up helping us succeed in the end. Yeah. But I do. I do think that, that that rings true, like our ability to be really scrappy, bootstrapped in certain areas and gritty. I mean, we were both at it for north of seven years. That I think is going to pay dividends in this next season. Not like the All In podcast needs any more plugging or those guys <laughs> need any more followers. Take all 10 of mine. But there was, a, I can't remember if it was Chamath talking about on the venture side, sort of the, the inverse of that, which was with generative ai and the cost yeah they don't know what the hell they're doing yeah it's like they don't know how to make their best how how much do you actually put forth into capitalizing an engineering team when half of it can be automated kind of resets Mm -hmm. the the benchmark of like what being efficient looks like and i think for cockroaches like us Mm -hmm. i'm kind of looking forward to not having to spend your way through customer acquisition and actually building stuff and relationships that really matter so 1000 percent, yeah brother all right dude well we'll let you get out of here but again man when you launch this next thing we're gonna have you back on the podcast and congrats on on all the success with obi and appreciate you man thanks brother i'm looking forward to the next time all right dude we'll talk soon all right that is a wrap again shout out to my good friend chris buttonham and again congrats to the entire team at obi on the acquisition there's big things on the horizon for that guy. I can feel he's a hustler. There's uh be on the lookout. That guy's going to cause some trouble in a, in a big way in the startup scene. So uh, grateful for him coming on the show and, and sharing some knowledge on the M and a process. Uh, this week on the show, got another really great guest coming on uh, the co-founder of nerd wallet, uh, informal advisor to us in the early days of disco, Jake Gibson. He's an awesome guy. Um, and yeah, nerd wallets, obviously if you've been watching any NBA playoffs, man, they are, they're hard on the marketing scene right now. So it'll be awesome to have him on and talk about early days founding nerd wallet. Uh, in the meantime, appreciate y'all tuning in again. Keep hustling, keep grinding. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle, grind. 
see them dollar signs. Assassin, state of mind. Assassin, state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin, state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs. Assassin, state of mind. Assassin, state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin, state of mind. They say money over everything. Everything, Asian again. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny. Pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business if it ain't reciprocated.